Hello friends, Pastor Steve here again on what we are temporarily anyway calling the Discovery Christian Church podcast. Normally, you know, this feed has been about um, our teachings and uh, offering a recording that happens uh, in the gatherings on Sunday mornings during the teaching moment. But as we now enter into, I believe this is 60 some now days of shelter in place, life as a digital church, we've been uh, sort of reformatting this. Um, So this is not a recording of what happens on Sunday morning, but a space to uh, offer the teaching in a different medium and then also uh, a space to explore a couple of things within the teaching that maybe we didn't have time to in the digital gathering because of some of the limitations we have in that medium. So For the time being, anyway, this is going to be a way to kind of take our normal Sunday morning teaching and shape it, explore it, come at it maybe in a couple different angles, and that's kind of exciting. So my hope is that you're able to follow along with us, Um, and uh, and again, even if you're uh, watching the digital gatherings and attending in that way, hopefully this gives you a little bit of a different spin on it, or if you just continue to follow what we're doing this way, uh, you'll have a pretty good idea of what's happening in the broader conversation in our community. So thank you for joining the podcast. Again, a quick update about the logistics of this. We've offered it, uh, the teaching, you know, through our app and webpage for many years now. And uh, there's also a way to subscribe and follow through Apple Music. I believe there's now, it might be called Apple Podcasts or something like that. It used to be iTunes, um, but they've rebranded it a little bit. But anyway, through the Apple Store, you can you know follow along there as well. But now we're also offering this on Spotify. So if you're more of a Spotify listener, I know that's how I do most of my music and podcasts these days. So you can, again, follow along and subscribe there as well. All right, one more update, and then we will get into a conversation on a couple of chapters in the book of 1 Samuel. But the last update is this. You know, a couple weeks ago, we set out a a generosity challenge for our church, and we hoped that we could raise about $5,000 over the period of two weeks. And we were able to double that. So very, very cool to see the way that God moved and provided in the, the... to see the the response of our church um, to this moment and to the need that's in front of us. So what we've been able to do so far, um, you know, we had said we wanted to do something to support our missions partners, and so we were able to do that over the course of the last week, getting, for lack of a better term, sort of a, a mid-year morale booster gift to them. And just in case you don't know, our our partners include uh, John and Sarah Stepanian, who are training pastors in Uganda, and then a bunch of people who are doing things with students stateside and around the world. So Stephen and Samantha Mockford working with college students in the Sacramento area, Uh, the Sangs working with college students in Arizona, the Osas working with college students in Uruguay, and Susan Mack working again, with college students in Kenya. Those are our five core partnerships as of right now. And uh, I got to, you know, interact with a number of them over the past week as we gave them those gifts. And again, just a great encouragement 
for each one of them. We also are, are partnering pretty significantly financially with two local organizations during or, or in response to this moment. So Fourth and Hope in Woodland and Empower YOLO, which serves the entire county. And uh, both of those organizations doing great work with vulnerable populations, particularly individuals and families that are at risk of or experiencing homelessness. And uh, we've you know done a couple things with them over the past year or two, and uh, this is another step towards you know deeper partnership with both of those organizations. And I'm really uh, glad to be able to do that uh, with and for them, and for what that will mean for us as we move forward. Uh, as a church. So pretty cool. And then the rest of the money goes into our care and compassion fund, which is a fund that we always have. Um, and you know, the sort of amount in there goes up and down depending on, on need or not. But, um, the idea for right now is that care and compassion, um, is there to meet any need that comes across our radar or from our community as a church, but specifically, again, we'll do whatever we need to do, but specifically we want to help people get groceries. And, and so, um, those who, you know, need a, a, a nugget card, a Safeway card, need a, someone to go do a grocery run for them. We can help provide that through those funds. And then the other big area is, uh, mental health or, or just really what I would call services to help process what's going on. And, and I think the deeper we get into this, the more we're going to see some significant uh, needs for counseling, for spiritual direction, for other sorts of mental health resources. And the statement, the line that keeps, I think, uh, popping up for us is this truth that in our community, no one should forego seeking those services because they can't afford it. And I think as a community, we can rally together to help make sure people can go to go see a counselor, go see a spiritual director, go seek whatever help they need um, in response to this moment. So pretty cool that we're able to, to do that, that much money. If, by the way, you're listening and you want to know more about getting connected to a counselor, to a spiritual director, to other services, we have some great partnerships. We would love to share those with you and uh, make that possible for you. All right. Now then, <clears throat> let's get into our text for today. As we continue on this conversation in 1 Samuel, we are looking at two chapters today. So this is a big section, chapters 13 and 14, right in the middle of the book. And our attention now turns to the character of Saul. We've been looking at this book through the lens of different characters. Two weeks on Hannah to get us started. Um, Eight weeks on Samuel, who's, again, one of the central characters here. Now the camera shifts attention to this guy named Saul, and the next will be David. So we're now into Saul's story, but we're going to specifically look, or I guess not specifically, but in in some depth, we're going to look at a story about his son, Jonathan. So what I want to do now is I'm going to read that scene within our larger story. Then we're going to talk about the larger story and then come back to that scene. So 1 Samuel, this is the very end of chapter 13 and then into chapter 14 through verse 12. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. 
Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With them were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. This is a priestly garb. He was a son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitab, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli. Here's a reference to previous leadership. And if you've been tracking with our journey through 1 Samuel, you'll remember some things about Eli and his sons. Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes, the other Senna. So here's a literal rock in a hard place situation. One cliff stood to the north towards Michmash, the other to the south towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come then, we will cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Let me pray. Father, we ask now that you would uh, speak to us wherever we might be listening to this. God, would your spirit be moving? Would your voice be speaking to us? Give us the ears to hear what you want to say. Help us to respond to your word in whatever ways we need to respond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends. One of our great human challenges is decision-making. How do we know we are making good decisions? This particularly comes up, it can become a, a... a critical issue for us with big life decisions. These big questions, where do we go to college? What job do we pursue? Do we change our career path or stick with what we are doing? Who should we marry? When do we start a family? Should we move or stay? Should we buy or rent? Should we end this relationship or not? These big questions. And we get really caught up in these moments For a lot of different reasons, but one of them is because we just want to know how it's going to turn out. We want to know, will we be okay? When I was in college, my friend Mike and I, we, we joke a lot about this magical letter that we were certain would arrive any day that would have the rest of our lives mapped out for us the answers to all these big questions what we really wanted was a letter that told us it was cool to drop out of school start a band and save the world through rock and roll that letter never came (laughs) but what about you how do you discern how do you make decisions how do you know that you are making a good decision. Hang on to that for a moment. We'll come back to it here in just a bit. Now, again, we're turning our attention in Samuel, the the story of Samuel to 
or the story of First Samuel, pardon me, to Saul. Saul, who is the first king of Israel, who is this hesitant leader who makes his way into the kingship on unsteady legs. Saul has his high moment in chapter 11 of First Samuel, this galvanizing moment where his people, or at least a portion of his people, are being attacked and humiliated by these enemies called the Ammonites. And they're threatening to subjugate them, you know, rip out their eyeballs, like all this gnarly stuff. And so Saul rallies Israel on their behalf, this call to generosity and sacrifice, which leads them to unity, right? They get together and fight and they win, which leads to celebration. And for Saul, this important moment where everyone rallies around him as the king. First Samuel chapter 11 is Saul's big moment of the people are all in. He's their king. Everything looks really good. And then there's this sort of sad, slow fall from grace. Now today we're going to focus on this scene with Jonathan and his armor bearer. Jonathan is Saul's son, but we can't really appreciate everything that that, that Jonathan is doing in that scene without the contrast of his father, Saul. So we're going to look at a scene with Saul that comes before Jonathan's excursion and then a scene that comes after Jonathan's excursion. And both, I think, again, create a great foil to Jonathan and teach us a lot about decision-making and some of the ways that we can get into traps or just make uh, some mistakes when it comes to decision-making. So let's talk about Saul here at the beginning, chapter 13. He launches a military campaign against the Philistines. Now, the Philistines are one of the great Old Testament baddies. You know, if there was like a Mount Rushmore of Old Testament bad guys, it'd be Babylon, Egypt, Philistines, and then maybe one other group. The Philistines were fierce warriors. They they drank a lot of beer. They, They were seafaring people. They had technologically sophisticated iron weapons. They were big, loud, scary enemies. And one of the reasons the people wanted a king to begin with was for protection from these fierce enemies who, uh, by the way, were a thorn in the side of Israel for several hundred years. This wasn't just like a a short-term thing. This has been going on for a long time. So they want a king to protect them from the Philistines. So here, Saul, chapter 13, finally getting into at least in the minds of the people, his primary work as king. And he has some initial success in chapter or in verse four of chapter 13, we see that the the sort of early Israelite success against the Philistines causes the Israelites to be obnoxious to the Philistines. And so they they, the Philistines, come back with chariots <clears throat> with their fancy weapons, and Israel starts to freak out because again big loud scary enemies with fancy iron weapons they freak out and in the middle of all that Saul is supposed to wait for our old friend Samuel Samuel's going to show up and offer sacrifices sort of a pregame blessing before they go to battle but Samuel is slow to arrive 1 Samuel 13, verse 8, Saul remained in Gilgal and all the troops were with him, quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and Saul's men began to scatter. 
So Saul says, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. Part of what is so distressing about Saul's fall from grace is that it's so normal. He doesn't go off and build a temple to Satan or start killing baby seals or whatever horrible thing you might imagine. His story is a great example of the power of trajectory, how we often get off track, not in big dramatic ways, although for some of us that will happen. But it's oftentimes an accumulation of small things, these decisions that are just a couple clicks off of where they need to be can send, again, our trajectory shooting into places that that land us far from where God would want us to be. Here, Saul does something that we all do. He gets jumpy because things are not happening at the pace that he would like them to happen. And so he begins to take matters into his own hands. All throughout his story, Saul struggles with trust. He struggles to trust people here, Samuel, but more importantly, or, or, or more foundationally, he struggles to trust God. We, we might say it this way. Saul takes, in, in this part of the story, Saul takes too much responsibility. Samuel's not coming. My men are freaking out. I don't know. We need to do this. We need to do this offering. Uh, I'm just going to do it. Now, at Discovery, we understand faith in a relational context. We spent a lot of time unpacking this and laying this out. Faith is not just intellectually agreeing to some abstract principles. That might be an aspect of it, but that's not the definition of faith. Faith is right relationship with God. It's where we put our trust, our lives, in God's hands. It's trusting in this story that Samuel's going to show up on time, that God is going to take care of us, even though there's this big scary enemy and everybody is afraid and running away. This lack of trust gets Saul into trouble over and over again. And here it leads Samuel to foreshadow the direction that Saul's story is going. Again, this these couple clicks off in trajectory. Samuel says, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So the first mistake that Saul makes is too much responsibility, not trusting God, taking matters into his own hands. Now, after Jonathan's excursion, so we're into the second half of chapter 14 here, Saul makes another mistake. It's a similar, it's like the opposite side of the same coin. Now, the background here is that Saul has made an entirely unnecessary oath. He, he doesn't know what Jonathan is up to. And so Saul says, guys, we're not going to eat until we defeat the Philistines. This is verse 24 now of 1 Samuel chapter 14. Before we you know, think, about, think of Saul as being rash here, we make similar kinds of oaths. We say, God, give me what I want. And I'll never speed again. I'll never yell at my kids again. Whatever it might be, we, we say these things, right? Like, God, just make this thing happen and I'll change my behavior. Now, this oath backfires on Saul because Jonathan, his son, innocently violates the oath. Jonathan doesn't know what's going on. And so he has he, he eats some honey 
And, and when he finds out about what happened, he thinks, man, this is a really silly oath. He explains this in, in verses 29 and 30. It creates a problem, though. Uh, it creates a problem for Jonathan. It creates a pr- uh, problem, more importantly, for Saul. Now, in the middle of all this, Saul does seek out God's guidance. And it's important that we see that he is still at this point looking to God for help. Now, he's seeking God's guidance for whether or not to sustain the attack on the Philistines. Keep in mind, they were already winning because of what Jonathan had initiated in the scene that we're about to look at. But again, this helps highlight the contrast between Jonathan and Saul. Saul prays in verse 37, Should I go down and pursue the Philistines? Will you give them into Israel's hand? But God did not answer him that day. Now, I wonder... If it's not so much that God did not answer Saul as Saul just isn't paying attention, Jonathan has already initiated the attack. They're winning. He starts this route of the Philistines, and Saul's still trying to figure out what he's supposed to do. And so in the midst of this confusion, Saul casts lots. He consults with Urim and Thummim, which was something that God had initiated. But really here, Saul is slipping into superstition. We might say it this way. This is the mistake of taking too little responsibility. And as a result, it paints all into this bizarre corner where he nearly kills his son. Like, oh, I made an oath. What else am I supposed to do? Now, Jonathan, good news here. Jonathan ends up having his life spared thanks to the interference of the, the soldiers who are around who get what's really going on. Verse 45. But I see this mistake all the time, especially inside of the church. We use very flowery spiritual language to avoid taking responsibility for either a choice that we need to make or a choice that we have made. We sort of uh, over-spiritualize our withdrawal as a way of trusting God. We'll talk more about this in just a minute. Saul takes too much responsibility, then he takes too little responsibility. Both mistakes reveal his deep mistrust, his lack of faith in God. Saul, like many of us, worships the idol of certainty. We want to know how it's going to turn out. We want to control the outcomes. I'll take this risk. I'll make this choice as long as I know I'm going to land on my feet. Right? As long as I know it's going to turn out okay. But the life of faith is about making decisions in the face of uncertainty and trusting God is with us in the midst of that uncertainty. Are you with me? So, Jonathan at the beginning of chapter 14, sneaks off without telling his dad, classic teenager move, which is probably about the age that Jonathan was at this point. Uh, teenage jokes aside, this is great storytelling. This is the author showing us how differently Jonathan and Saul approach things, showing us, not just telling us, how Jonathan is willing to move forward without certainty. Jonathan and his armor bearer, they poke around, they see what's going on with the Philistines, and then Jonathan says this incredible thing, right? Come, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. 
Jonathan's approach here illuminates a, a couple of important truths about decision-making. There's three things I want to draw out here, and we're going to start at the end of this verse, kind of work our way back towards the beginning. So first, Jonathan understands the bigger story that he is in. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, he says. Which is what you say when you've internalized the big story, when you've internalized the Exodus story, when you remember that the God you worship and follow rescued your people from slavery. This is what you say when you know the story of the parting of the Red Sea and the stories of the Battle of Jericho, the stories of Gideon and so many other of these characters and stories that we find in the Old Testament, right? The stories of your ancestors, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is what you say when you know the big story. This is the God who saves. Jonathan here uses God's personal name, Yahweh, will save whether by many or by few. When we're making big decisions, we can get really bogged down with like, what's the one thing? What's the one thing that's God's will for me in this decision? I think instead we should be asking, how does this opportunity, how do these decisions, options in front of me fit into the big story of redemption? Would pursuing this thing lead to salvation, shalom, justice, righteousness, flourishing, how does it fit into that story? We definitely get into trouble. Okay, well, I don't want to miss this point. We definitely get into trouble when we try to justify something that clearly doesn't fit in the story, right? That clearly does not lead to shalom and salvation. But many of us are facing decisions between options that fit into that salvation story. And so rather than trying to figure out, okay, which one of these is the right one? Which one of these is God's will? Which one of these leads to justice, righteousness, flourishing? Well, if they both can lead to that, that gives us a lot of freedom to go for it. And this is the second thing, the second truth that emerges from what Jonathan does here. The most significant thing Jonathan says is this word, perhaps. Perhaps is what we say when we take the appropriate amount of responsibility in our decision-making. Perhaps is going for it while at the same time leaving a lot of room for God to work. So Jonathan takes ownership of what he can. We're going to go over here. We're going to do this. We're going to look around this rock. We're going to say this thing and we'll see how they respond. But then he trusts God with the rest. And then Jonathan and the armor bearer, they, they get to see the fruit of this, right? They see God affirm this decision. The two of them start a great rout of the Philistines. Verses 12, 13, 14 outline how they start this thing off. Personally speaking, this has been one of the biggest areas of growth for me in decision-making. Maybe not growth, but just learning about how to do this because I struggle with control. I want to know it's going to turn out well. I worship this idol of certainty more often than I care to admit. A couple of years ago, my family, you know, we had some options in front of us. We could go to Vancouver, British Columbia. We could go to San Jose. We could go to Davis. And, uh, you know, again, at times it, it was hard because we just wanted to know how it was going to turn out. Which one of these things is the thing that God is asking us 
to do. Part of what was helpful in that process was remembering, you know what? All three of these things fit in this big story of salvation. And that freed us up to just peek around a rock, take the next step, you know, see which door continued to open. There's one approach to decision-making that's all about trying to figure out which option was the right one and then pursuing that. That's taking too much responsibility. The other would have been to just sit back and say, oh, you know, God will take care of it. That's taking too little responsibility. Again, taking the next step, peeking around the next rock, seeing what happens, perhaps. For our church, when we decided to push forward with this generosity campaign, we did not know how it would turn out. And for me, you know, there were some big questions. What if no one gives? What if we miss the goal? What if morale sinks because we fall short of our stated goal? And what was helpful for me was to remember, you know what? God wants us to be generous. God wants us to be a church that's broken and poured out for the good of others. God wants us to take the resources that he's entrusted us and, and give them back, uh, uh, invest them into his kingdom. We know God wants us to serve our community and to point people towards the good news of Jesus. So let's go for it. Perhaps who knows what will happen. Maybe we'll raise $10,000. But if we fail, let's fail trying to be part of a good story. Let's not fail because we sit on the sidelines wondering whether or not it's a good idea. Are you with me? Finally, we see that Jonathan has a good friend with him. Community gives decision-making this whole different texture. Do all that you have in mind, the armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. How good does it feel to have people like that in your life? (laughs) This might be the most important truth for you today as you're listening to this. Find your armor bearer. Find your people who are with you, heart and soul, who will be with you as you step into your perhaps. Now, my hope and prayer is that you can find these people at Discovery. One of the best ways to do this, I think, is through getting involved in a group. So if you're not currently involved in a Discovery group, man, jump into one. They're open all the time. They'd love to have you. You can find these types of people in that context. But whether it's through a group or other relationships you form, My prayer for you is that you find your armor bearers, those folks who are going to be with you to cheer you on as you take that next step of faith, who will be with you as you explore your perhaps, who will be with you to help you discern your way and find yourself in the big story of salvation that God is telling. Now, one last thought here. And this is very much connected to the idea of communion. So I just want you to hold that in the back of your mind as we move through this final, uh, this final point here. But central to the good news of Jesus is this promise that he will be with us always. And that even though he's not physically with us, his spirit is with us to help us and guide us. Matthew chapter 28, as Jesus sends his disciples out on this world-changing mission to share the good news, to make disciples of all nations, he promises them, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And in the good news, according to John, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to send an advocate, a helper, the Holy Spirit. And when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all 
truth. John 16, 13. This is such good news to know that Jesus is with us and the Spirit guides us into all truth. This is one of the reasons why we take communion every Sunday as a community. Anytime we gather in that way, it's to remember Jesus is with us, the Spirit is guiding us into truth. It's to remember Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, His death and resurrection are the price that He paid to be with us, to make those statements true. I am with you always to the end of the age. I will send you my Spirit. He will guide you into all truth. So as we close here, a couple questions, two questions really, and a reflection for you. First question is very straightforward. Are you in right relationship with God? Is this story of salvation your story? Are you part of that big story that God is telling? Because when you are, Jesus is with you and the Spirit is guiding you into truth. Two, is there a big decision that you are working through right now? What does it look like for you to trust God in this decision-making process? Are you taking too much responsibility or too little responsibility? What is your perhaps? And then finally, again, not so much a question, but something to meditate on. As you face this decision, as you face your next big potentially trajectory-altering decision, may you do so knowing Jesus is with you and the Spirit is guiding you into truth. And may that release you to go for it, to be bold, to take a risk. And through that, perhaps, may you have a great story to tell. Grace and peace, my friends.